Welcome to Adventure Guys, the podcast for humans and dogs. I'm Eric the Human. And I am Nick the Human. And happy Tuesday morning to you. Top of the Tuesday. Hey, actually, uh, are we going to wait a couple days to release this on Thursday, March 11th? Should we? For 311 day? Yeah, for 311 day. (laughs) Is that really why you wanted to? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, on top of the Thursday to you. All right. Well, then it was it was a good thing that I recorded that 311 version of our theme song that we just played. Oh, I had no... <laughs> yes, we're putting it out on, on that day. I can't wait to hear what you're going to cook up. I don't even want to try to... I was going to you know, improvise some 311 version of the song, but I want to hear it from you. We just, we just listened to it. What are you talking about, Nick? <laughs> Eric, I got to say, we're recording this on Friday afternoon. Um, again, evening, Bef- you know, before it came out, it's not in the future. I don't know why I'm clarifying that, but I, Fridays are just such a better day for me. We had to go off sync for the last couple of weeks and it was just making me feel off. But like my weeks have a cycle to them. Work is involved in there. And at, on Friday evenings, I am just at a talkative pitch where I'm just ready <laughs> to go. I am full of energy. I want to just let spill my thoughts into the world and sometimes on like a sunday evening like last week i'm just like a little more more fried do you you feel that with the days no days of the week just blur together i man my schedule has been so weird uh i've had a fucking week dude (laughs) this week yeah well i guess when was last time we did this five days ago yes weird schedule Yeah. yeah i don't know man i've had like these weird health things that have just been oh no being a total pain and like kind of a roadblock to being productive uh but i got the banjo skazooie records in today i got the first box of them in awesome uh so awesome. i can finally begin fulfilling those those orders the, the beautiful start going out the, tomorrow the gateful double lp yeah yeah it's uh it's a nice package um hey but yeah, first time we did a double LP and, you know, so it's a, a bigger, thicker product. <laughs> Thick. Two C's. I love it, dude. That's like, that's awesome. <clears throat> and it seems like you sold a bunch of them. Kudos. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I told you January, uh, it was our best month for sales ever. Well, February just became our best month for sales ever. <laughs> dude, absolutely incredible i'm so happy the hall of phonics deserve it so do you um i'm just stoked to i i realize that i've been waiting for these records to get in for so long and that just waiting on that has been a huge stressor for me that i just want to get it packaged and mailed out and because like we're so backed up on all these pre-orders and i finally have them that i can fill all these pre-orders uh and you know it's not an issue going to regular mail drops like we get plenty of orders in all the time that I'm going to the post office, you know, once or twice a week, usually just dropping off orders. And that's something I'm used to, but 
we've been so backed up on these. I have like 60 packages. I still need to wrap up and, and get out there right now. So I'm glad to finally put that behind me and, and move on and start focusing on original music more anyway. Hell yeah, dude. Well, I guess that's a, sounds like all in all, I'm sorry about the health stuff, but that's a good, nice little end to it. Nice little uptick as the weekends, so to say. Right. I, f- I finished WandaVision this morning. I woke up. I w- that was why I, I woke up this morning. It was just to watch TV. <laughs> well, now, okay, so fans fans of, it seems like something I should like. So if you, if you I like Twin Peaks. I like Adventure Time. I, I've watched all the Avengers. Like, am I going to like WandaVision? I've been, everyone's been hyping this thing up so much. You, you've watched, you've seen all the Marvel movies? No, just all the Avengers. <laughs> I, oh, no. I know that leaves, well, I know that leaves tremendous holes for me. I've seen a lot of the Marvel movies. Uh, well, neither Wanda nor the Vision have solo movies outside of the Avengers temples. So this particular series would be very watchable if you've only seen the Avengers movies. Um, the only other movie I'd recommend as like kind of essential would be Captain Marvel. Okay. Have you seen that one? No. That one's really good with Brie Larson. Oh no, I saw that. I was thinking of Captain America. I guess I saw no, it. But yeah, it- <laughs> if you've seen all the Avengers movies yeah. and Captain Marvel, you should be set to fully enjoy WandaVision. I liked Captain Marvel. Oh, th- doesn't yeah, it doesn't was, Brie, it was a good one. Okay, question: Doesn't Brie Larson look exactly like Phoebe Bridgers? Uh, does she? I'm gonna have to get a side by side, maybe for the IG and take a poll or something. I've been peddling this one for a while, but the internet has not put that that together. But I think they look quite alike. Well, which version of Brie Larson are you talking about? The Scott Pilgrim version of Brie Larson? Because maybe. Maybe, or like the United States of Terra version of Brie Larson. That's where I first met her. Oh, I I never watched that show. Was it good? It was pretty good. It's hard to say because that was really on the first crest of like, you know, our like continuing, like it was on Showtime or Stars or something. And it was like, oh yeah, the whole season you could just binge it. And like, remember when that was new? There was like a show and it was funny and dramatic and all the sh- episodes were an hour long and there were 12 of them. And you could just binge it in one night if you wanted. Like number th- that used to be a, no- I know that's just what TV is now, but there was a time when that was a novel event, you know? Right. So like, it's infuriating now that Disney has these shows that are only every week you get the episodes. Like I thought we moved past that model. It's so frustrating having to wait. And honestly, the thing about, WandaVision that makes it so great is that I mean I don't know if, if the having to wait every week had anything to do with it but it just it leaves you wanting so much more like I mean it's great but like you just can't wait to see what happens to these characters because they introduce some new characters that are really great and then they reintroduce uh, some minor characters from like the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe sure. that get more important roles um, and I just want to see the next thing I think they're starting the new D- Disney Marvel series like in a couple of weeks, um, so that'll be good. That will be. Good. I, I'm I, a huge fan of the of all the Marvel movies. Yeah. Well, I am. I'm like them too. Every time I go see one, I, I gotta be honest with you. I like. I like 
I like comic book stuff. Um, the Marvel movies I, I like, but every time I go see one, I don't know why I'm, I always am, am more impressed than I think I'm going to be. I don't know why I put my bar low. I think I'm one of the only people who does that. But I'm always just like, this is even better than I thought it was going to be. Um, right. And the thing, I mean, you know, I'm a comics guy, but I was never a Marvel comics guy. Not really. I was always more in, on the DC side um, in that I actually like really read DC comics. Like there were, you know, plenty of years in my 20s where every Wednesday I would go to the comic book store to get the new books. And I was reading, you know, anywhere between like two and 10 DC books every month. Um, but I only ever read a few Marvel uh, books and I never stay with them consistently and maybe that's why or it has something to do with why I like the Marvel movies so much because I'm familiar with it but I'm not like so invested in like this history and nostalgia with the characters that I have on the DC side that I'm I'm like okay with them doing things differently yeah. and I'm not I mean not to mention that just the Marvel movies are kind of better than the DC movies recently anyway, just as movies. Yeah. I, I appreciate them. I think they do a lot of really interesting things in terms of cinema and in terms of recreating the comic experience. That that makes sense. Yeah. And they're just fun. Mo- like, even if you're not even into the comic experience, they work. But if you are into the comic experience, they work. And that is that seems to me like a hard thread to weave, you know? Yeah. The impressive thing is that they are all interconnected. Yeah. Like there's 23 movies and now, you know, a nine episode miniseries that are all part of this, you know, singular story. Um, And the films work independently as their own movies. Sure. But they are all part of like one big narrative, which I find super impressive. And like, that's something that is straight out of the comics medium. Totally. But like, it's, it's totally common for one character to jump into another character's story and like seeing them do that with like, you know, $30 million movie stars in crazy blockbusters is like a really fun thing to see on a, on a screen like that. It is. And it's just super, it's really impressive and it's cool. And it, it feels like something that can only happen now, which I know you and I are both wary of mass, like of media that is popular being dumbed down. Right. Is this like a common thing for dudes of our ilk to be wary of? Um, <laughs> but w- what's cool is that you're getting like, okay, you literally have the most popular thing that's a- also satisfying the most diehard of fan and is also providing you with this multi-layered experience that if you want to watch on the surface, it's great. If you want to dig levels deeper, if you want to connect all the different timelines, it all works. Like that's, that's a feat of, of entertainment. You know, like that's this like this is this could go down as like one of the feats of this whole sort of generation of entertainment. Right. Like I've seen I've seen the comparison made to Greek mythology. Yeah. And and that's what we're doing now with American superheroes is they're basically the Greek gods of our time. <laughs> I love that. And they and all have their own stories, but they all show up in each other's stories and we we're basically worshiping them. <laughs> we are. And we keep reinventing them and game. Can, can I, can I um, zip back 10 minutes ago to something? Um, yeah. I kind of like when a show, I'm going to sound like a psychopath, but I love when shows kind of come out one week at a time. If I really like the show, maybe it doesn't work for all shows and they should be binged. But I also like the scarcity. Like if I'm really anticipating the show and I only get that half hour or that hour to just really savor it and then let it sink in over the week. 
until the next one comes. Like I feel like I I put more into my viewing. Like I bring more expectation tension in that hour. I am focused. Whereas if I'm binging, and uh, the eight hours over the course of like two days, by the time I get to episode three, it's just like kind of washing over me. You know. Whereas if I if I if it's that the only hour I've got that week to watch it, I'm like I'm sitting at ten. I'm I'm leaning forward with my chin on my fist, being like, "Whoa, okay." Does that make sense, or am I just being dumb? Yeah, yeah. You know, I I I'm at this weird point now where I have a lot of time and I have a lot of work to do that can be done while watching TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, I, I I absolutely get that side of things, like. You know, when you set aside that time to watch that show once a week, it becomes a special thing. Uh, but I'm in this mode now where I sort of view like the whole of a series as the thing that I want to devote a special time to. And that could be like, you know, five days worth of binging slash watching while I'm working. And like that's the five days of focus that I give that thing that is special to me about that viewing experience and then i'll just do that with some other whole series right right how i approach it It's just where i am now and you know month 12 of the pandemic (laughs) no touring and all that yeah yeah i don't i don't know we've ever talked about this do you feel like when you watch a tv show or a movie or read a book or something like consume a piece of media or art that it do you feel like it adds to your experience to your like person to your character like having viewed that show you now know everything there is to know about it from a a viewer standpoint anyway and it informs the way that you move forward after watching it yes do you see that as like a cumulative effect like you are carrying around everything that you've ever consumed because that's how I feel like, you know, when I watch I, shows and movies and stuff. I did feel that way. I will also say music like it and it I think this like informed me being like a very conscious and like curious consumer and like intentional with what I consumed and looking for more music like there was a time with music and movies and TV shows where like especially like, say say when you're 22, right? At that point you can still probably list all the TV shows, movies, and music you've really listened to. You know what I mean? I mean, may, now it might be different, but especially in our generation, you could. Like, I had my yeah. my tower of CDs that were, like, my 60 or 70 and, like, right. the movies. Yeah. So it literally felt like I needed to build my experience or my back catalog. And I really felt that way. And even all the way through my 20s. And that's the reason why I still have... I think I carry my books and I collect vinyl is for those reasons, because it's literally like a physical manifestation of these things I've carefully put into my brain to better and like more completely get myself like to, what did you say build? Do you feel like you, it, it, it builds into your being or something? Is that what you said? Uh, yeah. Something like that. Like it, it's adds to your cumulative yes. experience. Yes. And I, so I really respect that. All that's to say is that in the last couple of years, it's faded off a little bit and that there are specific things where all of a sudden, like 
it'll like jump up and I'll feel it connecting in some way and like wrapping around that being like when I got really into talking heads last year, it like all of a sudden I could just feel it becoming a part of my being. Um, I feel like that with adventure time and Steven universe. Like, I feel like this is really helping my being same thing. I don't know. I was rewatching twin peaks and I can feel it, but then there's, there's more things recently as I go on that I'm enjoying and then they leave me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it is sort of, I guess the opposite experience of say living in the moment, right? Just mm-hmm. uh, enjoying a thing while it's happening and that's it. Um, and that's honestly not an experience that uh, I have ever. <laughs> it's, it's why I can't stand sports. Because you watch a game for two hours and that two hours has not affected you in any lasting way because that game will happen over and over and over again. You may get the same results. You may get different results, but that game is, is never telling a narrative. It's never advancing any sort of ideas. Yeah. It's just a way to spend those two hours. I, well, that's why I don't like well, reality shows. And actually it's, it's why I've been wary of documentaries recently. I don't know if you've noticed this trend with documentaries that are basically glorified reality shows. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, there's a lot of documentaries that are good journalism, but you really have to sift through it and, well, <laughs> and but, weed out the bullshit yeah. reality show type of documentary. It's true. Those can stick with you if you really learn something about someone else's experience. What I'm going to say to you, Eric, is and now I don't not, I don't know if this is positive or negative, but I, uh, I definitely identify with what you're saying, but I think you and I are both people that are intentionally spending our time in ways and choosing to do things that we think will lead to, to an enriching experience of our lives. And we are both trying to be productive and pursue things we want to do. So with that lens on, when I choose what I'm going to be entertained by, why am I going to choose something inconsequential? This is why I'm not watching reality shows. This is why I don't get mad at me. Listeners stick with me. Um, (laughs) watch a lot of like quote trash TV. You know, there's people who like, lo- they just go like, I love trash TV. They're like, I know it sucks, but I just love it. Or you love sports. And to me, I'm always like you, it's an op. How much TV are you watching? Like, it's an opportunity to watch something that can become part of your being. Why are you watching something that is the, op- exactly. that's the opposite? Yeah. I really identify that. What I will say is though, like as you're getting at is that there is something really nice and stress-free to like take all of these concerns we're talking about just completely off and just watch something with no expectation to how it will affect your being and literally just be entertained by it like that does sound a bit more zen and carefree and just nice um luckily i think if you get a show like adventure time you're doing both (laughs) you know um, yeah. maybe that's why we like cartoons a lot is because it's like <laughs> satiating both of those minds where you could view it as like a, a mindless cartoon, but then also it's like totally enriching my experience. I don't know. Does that make sense? Um, here's yeah. another thing I will think about though, when I'm consuming media and that affects me is, um, you're talking about how, like if, when do, do you think it becomes part of your being? I, I guess I would say is, is like, do you ever watch the, like, it happens to me less, but you, you watch a show and or a book or a mu- or a music or a podcast or whatever, and you get so into the characters and you connect with them deeply and they 
they start being in a funny in a certain way and then you want to start being funny in a certain way or you're just really enamored with their outlook on life and then you leave the show and you're like god i want to bring that into my life you, you know that and it like that i think about that when it becomes part of my being and like that is something I think about. That is something that I think I used to do a lot as a teenager. And basically, I think it makes sense because you're informing your identity. So you look to these cultural things that society's putting value on and you want to be like those people. Like, I get it. And I think as I've gotten older, I've tried to let that go. But um, to just be myself and not be amalgamation of different cultural artifacts. But I will say I watched the show Ted Lasso recently. And I, Oh, you did. I do. I watched it too. I I was wondering if you saw it. Yeah. And I watched it. I binged it. Even though that show came out weekly, I still binged it and loved it. And that was the first time in a while where I was literally like, I love the outlook and philosophy of Ted Lasso. I want to be like this guy. Like I've literally, that's a show that I definitely have like taken with me into this year of life with that. I haven't felt that way in a long time. And I don't know if I'm necessarily doing it in like a teenager sort of a way that's informing, like I'm looking for someone like maybe I am because I've looked up to Jason Stakers for a long time. People tell me I look like him. Like maybe that I'm a white cat. Maybe that's part of it, but I also just (laughs) love that character and I love his outlook and all that shit. And I don't know. Does that mean why I'm saying track to you? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, that's a show that's like a feel-good show. Yeah. But there's 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 a lot to to take from that kind of stuff where, you know, you enjoy watching it, obviously, but then it can inform whatever you want it to afterwards. Yeah. Like, it definitely stays... like it, And that, that one's worth a rewatch, uh, I think. And that's the other thing, too, right? When, you, when I rewatch something, I think about it as understanding it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if it's just like a, a thing that is enjoyable in the moment and you know what's going to happen. So, you know, you don't have to worry about the experience going one way or the other. You get like a, a, a second pass at, at it. You get another opportunity to go a little bit deeper and to yeah. appreciate it in a different way. That's how I approach rewatches. Um, and yeah, a show like a show like that is just so optimistic. Yeah. That I would challenge anyone to to watch that show and and not be somehow affected by it after watching it. Yeah. It's like to not carry a part of it, even just a little bit with you after finishing viewing that show. Totally. And I was, so I was feeling a little guilty. I think this is just a more of an emotional identity thing. I've been trying to uh, get better at over the last couple of years as I go into my thirties, which is just like truly owning who I am and not looking at external versions of people I could be and and being like oh you know you know what I mean like you do that when you're trying to find your way out into the world or at least I did this in my 20s you're like I could be like this guy or I could be like that person or I could do that and like looking at different archetypes and what you need to do to fit into the archetypes and trying to just kind of like let that all dissolve and just be Nick um so that's something I've been consciously thinking about. And then Ted Lasso comes and I'm like, oh, I kind of want to be like Ted Lasso. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And I went online and I was like, I wonder what people are saying about this show. Cause I heard it was pretty good. And I went online and literally I saw just like a wild smattering of people saying things like you're saying, like it affected them. Um, they went on this podcast with this therapist that's pretty popular. And she was talking about how she watched it 
six times and everyone's favorite and she's like it's like really impacting people in a positive way i saw jeff rickley from twi- uh from thursday oh, tweeted yeah? like my goal for 2021 is to be more like ted lasso and i was like holy <laughs> shit like this is like really this is a, a really wide swath of people that this is uh yeah. impacting my goal for 2004 was to be more like jeff rickley <laughs> <laughs> that's great um i definitely feel that way man um and speaking of people in that you take with you and inf- inform your being, um, and speaking of collecting artifacts to remind you of of those experiences, those people, how about how about this vinyl box set we got we got to talk about the Mars Volta, the Mars Volta vinyl box set. They they said so, so yesterday they start teasing like in in the morning they post like a couple of uh, teaser clips. They say go follow this other page called Clouds Hill, which have done some work with Omar Rodriguez Lopez, the uh, leader of the band, guitarist. And everyone's like, "Are they coming back?" Cedric said a couple years ago, the lead singer, that they're gonna come back. Yada yada. And then at like 8 p.m. Central Time, 9 p.m. Eastern, they put up, "All right, guys, here's what we got for you. We got a vinyl box set reissuing the vinyl of our entire catalog on 18 records, including." The demos of our first record, arguably their best, fan favorite, D-Last in the Comitorium. We've got B-sides that we've never released that we're going to put on vinyl, a photo book, all of this. And the kicker was that it is going to cost $479. And if you want the, if you want the shirt or the, the, uh, the sweatshirt, it'll, it'll, it'll get over $500. Um, so what, but, but what really got me was like, okay, Am I going to spend, with shipping and tax, over $500 to own this band's vinyl records? I know box sets are a thing, but I realize that I've become an age where the bands that I love are going to start putting out things of this nature. And it, I was like, do I buy this? I do not know. I, I texted Eric immediately when I saw it and was just like, dude, fuck. <laughs> Yeah. Well, when I saw it, I immediately thought of you. So <laughs> you did. What did you, you? What did you think? I uh, well, my, I was immediately just curious, like how much is this going to cost? Like that, like scanning. Where's the price point? Where's the price point? Oh, four hundred and seventy nine dollars. But if anyone that I know would actually spend that for this, it's Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and um. I guess you missed your opportunity because it's sold out in 24 it's hours. Sold out. Well, and just to, but why, why I would do it. I mean, that previous conversation makes sense. I would say Mars Volta has to be one of the most informative bands of my life, which I know might sound preposterous to some people. Like they have all these long songs and they're in Spanish and it's about space and all this crazy shit. But that band's outlook like they well first of all i realized today eric i would you and i were the perfect age for this band because d last in the commentorium their debut album comes out in 2003 that is my freshman year of high school nocturnicate their last album comes out within the first six months of me working at atlantic records my first adult job so basically just that entire incredible span of life um is is when this band yeah. existed so it's like what what a perfect t- 
time for me to get into one of those bands. Right. What other bands like existed so perfectly in that window for us? I don't know, because 2003 to two, to 2000, and that, to me, that would be like 2011 or 12. 12, I think, is when it came out. So that's nine year. A nine year run is something special, I think, because um, a lot of bands, especially of quality output. I mean, you could argue that Nocturnicate maybe wasn't as high as the others, I might say. But like still, like nine years, seven records. Right. RX Bandits were sort of in that window, like prog. Like if you want to count like progress as the beginning, yeah. And uh, you know when they announced that they were doing their last tour as the end, that'd be that'd be, that'd be like <laughs> two thousand one is progress to two thousand eleven is when they we saw them on that farewell tour. Yeah, but it's yeah, that could be a good one. There's and you know th- those were my two favorite bands of that era. Me too. And we've talked about and, it. You, and yeah, the uh, the only guy who really kept my interest beyond that, that kept going was uh, Jeff Rosenstock, of course. Of um, course. But, you know, I, di- I, didn't, I didn't really become a huge Jeff fan until after high school. I, I You know, ASOB was a local band mm-hmm. when I was in high school, but I, I didn't really take a shine to them until leaving long island ironically that's funny <laughs> senior year of high school i mean school. They're, they're only they're only good recorded album came out right when i graduated high school yeah and the band had already basically broken up broken. yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah so you didn't have a chance i i was i did get into bomb my senior year of high school because they were playing like local ska shows basically at that point in the tri-state area that was like what bomb was doing on those first couple of records so i found out about them but but yeah, the Mars Volta, I mean, and there are a lot of great bands. Hey, if you... Oh, by the way, that was a Jeffrance. Uh, Hold on. Jeffrance. <laughs> but Sorry. look, I know that a lot of our friends that listen to the show are also music nerds and are going to have, are, are definitely screaming at us right now because we're forgetting about incredible bands. Um, Eric and I just happen to be really aligned. On this period of time, I think Eric and I are in pretty lockstep about the the music that means a lot to us. Oh, you know what's another band that fits in that window perfectly uh, that I was really into? Uh, Horse the Band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, what a... It, it was about a year ago, I rewatched their Earth Tour documentary. Yeah. Their, like, nine-hour documentary about touring the entire world, DIY. Yeah. Uh, Can- and... Uh, Coming like, back to that, yeah. After doing my own DIY tours, I was like, "Oh, so this is just some regular bullshit." <laughs> can, can you? Can you? Can you? I'm gonna have to invoke a technical difficulties right now, um, which has been a while. Someone is banging on my door, and I, 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 I don't know who this could be. And it's, it sounds like I need to go talk to them. was it all right it was it was it was like a gang of oxfam guys who were trying to get us to donate um to combat 
poverty in uh, third world countries affected by COVID, which is pretty nice thing. But the thing is, is that in Texas, which I had never experienced in the Northeast, is that you get people door to door door selling stuff still. Yeah, you do. Yep. Which I've not. Absolutely. So, so I walk out there and you see like a gaggle of guys with clipboards, and I and like they were pounding on that door for too long for 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 a charity. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> so I, I walk outside. I'm just like, hey, what's I'm like, guys, and I see them all. They're like, oh, hey, I'm like, hey, if you're selling me something, I'm just going to just stop you right here. And then I had to listen. To- <laughs> do you get um, do you get Mormons in that neighborhood? No Mormons. Not yet. We would get door to door Mormons up in Denton. Yeah. Well, let's let's go back to the discussion. Horse the band. <laughs> I remember you loved that that documentary. I remember you watching it and you having like a very profound experience with it. Senior year of college. Yeah, well, it, it's kind of a bear to watch. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure nine hours yeah. is it's they were just I remember they premiered it at South by Southwest and they just made this DIY documentary about going on tour and they did the whole full length viewing at South by Southwest and everyone fucking hated it. Cause why, why the hell would you sit through that? And they're, they're specifically like, no, you cannot break this up into separate watching sessions. You need to <laughs> see the whole thing in its entirety. In oh my scene. God. What an event. <laughs> I like, so they like, rented out a theater and we're like, you're going to watch our, us going on tour for nine hours. Well, it was, it was part of South by Southwest. The, uh, the film festival. Yeah. The part well, that know, happens before. No, no, and I understand, but like, to do a film screening that lasts over nine hours is quite a undertaking. Yeah, well, they're they're crazy. They're they're beyond reasonable people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my first viewing of that was around that time that they had sort of unofficially broken up, went on hiatus, basically just stopped doing things. Pretty much after this um, Earth tour, they did that Earth tour. It inspired their last album, and then they were kind of just tired. Yeah. Um, but but now it's quite. I watched. Now, can, can you can you let the people know what the Earth Tour was? Because wasn't it some like absolutely insane undertaking of like three hundred shows across every continent of the world? It, it wasn't that many. It was. I think it was three months long. Okay. Um, I don't know how many shows they managed to pack into that. I, but yeah, they they did a, a DIY tour, self booked. All over the world. Like they went to China and they had to get all the, you know, political paperwork and stuff that you need to play in China, um, which is really weird. I've known a few people that have toured over there. It's like you have, you can't just go to play shows in China. You have to oh, get dude. like this it was Sean political was, ambassadorship kind of thing. Yeah, it was Sean was here because TTNG, who Kraken Quartet toured with uh, twice, they got stuck in China for like a long time. Like they got really screwed up with their, with their visas and the, the government held them in China. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really weird. I mean, and you have to submit all your material and, and lyrics and everything to make sure that, you know, oh, you're not wait, saying anything can, they don't want sorry, to I wanna, say. I want to, they were in Hong Kong, not China. Oh, okay. Okay. Continue. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, so they went to all these countries that American bands don't go to very often. Uh, they played a lot of like Eastern European shows that were really weird. Uh, 
it's there was one spot they played. I forget where it was, but they were the first American band to play there in like a decade. And the last band yeah. was Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> um, but it, you know, they did like the shitty DIY tour that I've spent the last like eight years doing all over North America. Except they did it all over the world, and they lost so much money doing it. Uh, I think, I think they lost sixty thousand dollars, and they they did this. It was grueling. They hated each other. They hated music. They hated everything about it. They get back to New York to do their final show of the tour, mm-hmm. uh, and I forget what venue it was. It was maybe like Irving Plaza or or something like that, um, but. The the thing was, they were doing this documentary the whole way through, and Live Nation wouldn't let them film the show for the documentary. <laughs> yeah, probably without they, probably without know, paying like a fee. Well, there was this there was this whole like license that they had to get yeah, or, or yeah. whatever an origination and, fee it's called. Yeah, and they didn't do any of that shit. Uh, like none of the paperwork was filed correctly. They they didn't do anything right to do it. Um, and there's this scene of them getting ready to play their last show. And they're like, well, we're already $50,000 in debt. If we film the show, they're going to fine us $10,000. That really doesn't make a difference where we are right now. We can't <laughs> not film the last show with this tour. So fuck it. Oh my God. <laughs> what a great attitude. Very punk rock. Wait, uh, it, well, I remember, I mean, that's, first of all, Lots of questions about it now. At the time, it seemed just fucking awesome when they did that. A couple of things to think about. It's funny because, of course, the band, like, right, like it's sort of like hardcore. It's sort of punk. It's melodic. And they have, like, you know, chiptune noises in their music. So yeah. it's, like, inherently kind of a, a niche, silly band. Like, a little bit, right? Like, and so it's funny to see them taking this niche music and be like, we're going to Myanmar or wherever. I forget where they go. And like, th- there's something absurd about that. That's kind of funny. Um, I'm surprised they're not more DIY punk legends for that. Like, I feel like they've kind of been lost to time a little bit. Um, yeah. Well, they were also famously like very shitty people to be around. There you go. That's going to do it. <laughs> and and the the documentary, like, Shows plenty of them being shitty to each other, but like in a friend's kind of way. But like you can tell, like they are really pushing the boundaries of their yeah. friendship. Now, <laughs> now let me now let me all just back up before even all that and be why would you take on such an endeavor, and especially losing money? Now, theoretically, right? As you've toured a lot, I've worked in the touring department of Atlantic Records, which we talk about strategy. You've been out on the road for years. You think about touring and one of the the tent poles or reasons for touring is that you hope you can go visit these places and you will play and you will be good and people will like it. And the next time you come back, they'll bring some more people, right? That's kind of the idea. And the touring you're using to get your music to more people and build your fan base. That's like a, right? That's a theory around touring. That's why you do it. Now, to go to these places, which you know you will most likely never return to (laughs) and to lose money doing it, and this is even before the streaming era, so you couldn't go like, we're going to play in Singapore, and people are going to love us, and then they stream the shit out of music in Singapore. Like, they, they could only sell the records they had on hand. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like it's a kind of a wild endeavor. I'm sort of like, why why go through the trouble? 
I think there was a funny situation with their merch also where like the label hadn't gotten them the record yet. So they couldn't even sell their merch. They were, they were not making any money. Yeah. They were basically just doing it to show that they could do it. Yeah. Which now the, you know, framing like the two times that I've watched this in my life were before I've ever toured. And then uh, I think it was after we got back from our last tour just about a year ago. So <laughs> on either end of bookending my entire touring experience of my life, I've watched this documentary and I, I realized the second time around how many bad lessons I took from watching that documentary <laughs> because it was, it was my, my first real window into that world. And then I started doing that myself, you know, a couple of years later and there was a lot of, I need to do this just to prove that I can do it. Yeah. Like the year that I played over 200 that shows. This is the solo tour year, which seemed so crazy. Yeah. Like I, I didn't, I played 201 shows and I limped across that finish line and I did not play 201 good shows, but I played 201 shows and I just wanted to get that number. And I mean, you know, there, even the bad shows, like I did learn something like, okay, don't go out, out of your way to play in Alabama ever again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there were plenty of good shows that I did meet a lot of great people and, you know, established personal and professional connections all over the country. That was totally worth it. But I didn't need to play 201 shows. I could have played 150 shows, trimmed the fat and uh, saved myself a lot of stress and financial ruin. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to do it to see that I could. And I think a lot of that was because I got this weird idea of what touring was supposed to be from horse. The <laughs> <laughs> now I follow up question. D did you grow up Catholic? No, my family is Catholic. Uh, my dad's side is Italian Catholic. My mom's side is French Catholic, but both of them went to Catholic school when they were kids. And I think that was enough for them to not want to raise their kids. Catholic. Got it. Because I was going to say this, <laughs> This idea of proving something to do it and like, and at the cost of yourself, it feels like a very Catholic idea <laughs> and something that I well, relate to. I, yeah, that's, I think that's definitely part of uh, our family culture. Yeah. I mean, you know, I do have uh, plenty of family that are still practicing Catholic and, um, and that's very much the scene on Long Island. Um, lots of, lots of Catholics in, in my hometown. Um, and, and I also got to be that, that there's a, there's a bit of like a punk spirit, which to that, like, you know, and like punk cred or something, I think in, involved in some of that, too. That's interesting. Now, here's another thing I remember about the Horse to Band documentary. Um, I remember having a great early philosophical conversation with you that might be akin to something you might hear on this podcast. Uh, but of early one where the Horse to Band guys question does was it does anyone does everyone in this world truly deserve to be happy? Don't they pose that question in there? <laughs> I remember you and I having that discussion and I being like, Yes, I think everyone is happy. And you're like, but do they actually deserve it? Like, should that be the baseline? And we got into like a really and we were like examining that thought. And I remember that being a fun, a fun question to roll around in my head that I never rolled around before. Man, they they those guys in that band definitely were dicks. And like <laughs> upon my uh viewing of it last year it's like i realized how present like there's a lot of uh 
homophobic and oh. ableist language God. they throw around casually. And when that was, that was like, that tour was 2008 or something like that. Yeah. And like, I'm sure it would be different now, but like, it's still like kind of shitty to hear. Um, yeah. And like, how old were those guys? I mean, those guys must have been their mid 20s, right? Yeah. I think late um, late 20s. When, when they did that, I think the oldest guy in the band was the singer and he was our age now. He's like early 30s. 32. Yeah. Well, I mean, that could have also been had something to do with it. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I, but I think there were also like right band, right time, maybe to make. No one had really made a doc like that yet. I think there's been more docs made like that now. The only the only other band I remember doing stuff like that was Every Time I Die. Mm-hmm. Uh, coincidentally, sort of in the same genre slash world. Um, I remember they put out a lot of videos from them uh, being on Warp Tour and fucking with yeah. all the other bands. On Warp. But I remember Every Time I Die like being uh, very jovial fun. about it it was fun and, they were yeah. they were they were excited to be doing this with their lives whereas horse their band there was a very existential why are we doing this right like horse the band also on warp tour i saw horse the band on warp tour in 2006 and they were fucking great uh but i remember they had a bad reputation because um there was some like they put the bands on the tour in buses like according to alphabetical order or something mm-hmm. So they they shared a bus with Halifax, <laughs> and they just relentlessly tortured Halifax. <laughs> that's funny, kind of. <laughs> but also, that's I mean, that's not funny to be dicks to people. Yeah, like they were like actual shit. Uh, yeah, like, like stealing their toothbrushes and like putting them in the toilet and everything. No one needs and... that. Just why? <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm not in that part of my life anymore. Where that because that does make sense to you at some point. And you're like, when you're a young man <laughs> and you're, you're finding out how to be masculine and what to do with these feelings inside of your body. And, and right in 2004, in 2004. Yeah. Not, right. not good. Um, yeah, man. Oh God, I haven't thought about that in so long. Um, but just like on the DIY level, I think that was exciting to see. And obviously, yeah, the, there's the bomb documentary, big D eventually in the kids table put out some sort of, uh, um, doc but obviously I'd read a lot about it but seeing a video I think of people DIY touring was very exciting but Eric just to go back to that time when um, period I guess and just I want to bring it back to this Mars Volta conversation so they were very influential to me and my thinking about music Um, I remember I loved them in high school and they there but then in college like diving in deeper i remember you and i bonding over it on like a very you used to do those long ass walks i remember you and i were one night at like uh, like 11 or 12 or like why don't we walk like oh, 10 shit. miles to <laughs> wawa uh, i remember that oh my gosh we were we were just at a party yeah and we were drunk yeah so we couldn't drive couldn't no it's probably what like it, one in it, the morning or something yeah, it was two. It was definitely past closing time for any reasonable restaurant. But we were hungry, we were drunk, so we had to walk. Our original plan was to Taco Bell. Yeah. And when we got there, they were closed. And 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 this is <laughs> to to and like when did we we this is in Delaware. We had to walk from wherever you were down past the stadium and we just kept going. Right, like how long would that walk have been? Like a couple hours to get there or something? Yeah, um, I don't know how many miles it was. Um, 
Ultimately, Wawa was a good decision, though. Yeah. But I remember talking. Wawa. I remember talking about that. I remember talking about realizing we love Mars Volta together and some of these mutual musical ambitions on that walk, and it was great. But uh, but yeah, but they 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 like totally just the fearless fuck you towards doing something cool, obviously, and quitting at the drive and starting Mars Volta. But they also like they said things that I still haven't heard a lot of other people say, which was like. If you're going to be in a band or do something or do anything creative, you should aim for it to be original and to be only yours. Like, if you shouldn't sound like another band because that band already exists, so you don't. We don't need your band if it sounds like another band. Like, if you're gonna make music, make it sound new. Make it like look into the future. Do something that's never been done before. And that sort of outlook is like, I don't know. It seems seems to make so much sense when I'm just saying it right now, but then once you get into consuming art and bands and movies and stuff, you realize that that is just not how a lot of people go about it. Yeah, that's not a common viewpoint for creators. Um, because, And here's the thing now, creator is a very common piece of terminology. Content creators, you know, that's like a whole like genre of, of people. But it's not synonymous with artists. No. The Mars Volta were fucking artists, artists you know? Yeah, and I remember them... They, <laughs> they were interested in making art. art. They weren't interested art. in making content. No, and they broke up and they were talking about the other guys wanting to be in, like, loving, like, Weezer in this stuff. And they were like, there's a lot of bands that sound like Weezer. Like, we're trying to listen to the first Funkadelic album. I love Miles Davis and John Coltrane and, um, and like, salsa music. And it's like, and King Crimson and Pink Floyd. And it's like... No one's doing that. Let's like make a band that no one's doing and and, and chart some on territory. And that's what they did. And that's just sort of that thinking about the how to live in this world in art. I don't know. Like that's just like a mindset that has like, to go back to the original origin of this conversation. Like really stuck with me. Like a very like a forward thinking mindset that we do not get stuck also that was the thing about the, we do not get stuck in nostalgia we do not look backwards we constantly look to move forward to find a better more creative artful way you know what i mean like uh, yeah and, but you know in a way it's utilitarian it's yeah. efficient it's like we already have things that sound like that so why wouldn't you just do something new <laughs> yeah like, why would you waste your time doing something that already exists ah it's so good. So I thought about that. I thought about what they mean to me. I thought about how now I have a quote unquote career in music and uh, the business and all these things meant to me and how influential they were. And I'll tell you what, Eric, I bought that box set. You did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you had me going this whole time. I spent $500 <laughs> on this 18 LP box set. Which comes out to around, oh. if you're wondering, $60 per album, which is not a reasonable price. Wait, really? Yeah. That's not reasonable at all. It's not. Now here- Wait, 18 discs? Yeah. I didn't even- Because oh, yeah, some of the records right? are, they're all like double and Francis the Mute's a triple LP. Also unclear, it doesn't have- Oh, 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 I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. Per album? Album. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing too. Francis the Mute used to have a, a vinyl only song that was 14 minutes. I don't know if it's on there. It doesn't have Scab Dates, which is potentially my favorite Mars Volta album. Oh right, I thought that. Yeah, it seemed when they put out that whole list of everything that was on, I was like, this list seems shorter than I remember. Yeah, and that's really that's like a really important album to me that blew 
mine and Sean's minds like completely open. Like that is still one of my favorite listening experiences ever putting that on for the first time and not like, I didn't know bands could sound like that. Um, Best scene from get him to the green. Oh yeah. (laughs) Take the veil. Yeah. Um, So this is always like, you know what? I should be a fan. I should give the money's going to them. They kept the vinyl rights. Um, if I'm going to market to music to fans, I got to keep my fandom going. I'm going to have a blast. Really? That like they aren't splitting any of that with the label. They might be, but in the original, they were really ahead of their time. Oh, and this is why it's so expensive. This is something I want to talk about. So when they put out these albums, vinyl boom had not started, right? No one wanted 2003. Who the fuck wants vinyl in 2003? That's like the heart of the (laughs) CD era. That's like the TRL like is still like, cresting um and millions of sold so they they signed to universal records they got a big advance they were making their record with rick rubin and they said we want to have lots of international marketing because we speak spanish like in our music we want to make sure latin america really hears this music it's also you know salsa influence and all this stuff is in there and we want to maintain our vinyl rights so at the time they're like, yeah, f- who cares about vinyl? What do you, t- what a vinyl? We don't even make vinyl. We haven't made vinyl in years. Sure. Here's your vinyl rights. And so they were like, okay, we'll keep them. And then Omar on his like label would se- would release the vinyl editions of the record where they put all this care into them. And they only made a couple thousand because the demand was so low. And then they kept putting out the records through these, the vinyl boom starts to grow. And by the time I get like, and buying vinyl in like 2008 or nine, like I'm looking online to try to buy them on eBay and they're like $600. And I'm like, that's crazy. I check a couple years later, $400. And in Mars Volta fashion, since they're looking forward, they never repress the records. They would press the new ones as they're going and then just leave it go. So they never repressed after this initial couple thousand run of each record. And like literally earlier, like in January, I was going through a Mars Volta phase. I think I talked about it on the podcast and I was like, what are these records going for now? Like, it's been so long. Like, no one's talking about this band anymore. Still, each record, two to $500. So man. the market price is so high. So if they, they did these in limited quantities, there was a lot. I was going through the forums, and people were like, look, if you want to own any of these records on vinyl, you're going to have to spend one to $500 pop. So 60 bucks per record, 500 for the whole lot. Like, you're really getting a steal as the market price is going right now. Um it is crazy though. You know, it's like, I don't, it seems like a hard thing to manage at that point. Cause it's like, I imagine that they would want to release them as one-off vinyls, like record that would set way fans who maybe don't have $500 to span to spare could get the rec- the one record they want on vinyl. Yeah. But then what happens to the fans like me who maybe would have just bought three records? Like I probably would have bought um, deloused Francis the Mutant Architecture and then left it there. But now I bought the box set because fuck it. But now if they release singles, are people going to be mad? I don't know. And like, does that how does that affect the market? I don't know. But all I do know is I, that I, I think about that stuff too when planning my releases. Like, I've dropped the price of uh, the Phantom Arrival vinyl mm-hmm. since we released it. Yeah. And I was like, is this fair to the people that? pre-ordered it at like $16 that now I'm selling it for 12. <laughs> yeah. It's a good question. Um, and I don't know the answer to that. I guess that's why, I mean, it's three years, three years after, and we still have some of the first pressing. So I, I don't know. I don't know. 
But we did do the quick math, and it seems that that decision to hold on to the vinyl rights, and they might have, it seems like they're, it's like a partnership with this Clouds Hill record label. They're in Germany. It's like an engineer that Omar likes. Like, I don't know. But I would imagine they kept like a lot of the money. But we did a quick calculation that's like $2.5 million because they all sold out by this morning. I made, I made the decision by this morning. It was sold out. Man. Well, you know, this is in gross revenue. This is something I think we're going to see a lot more of soon. Yeah. Is the big box set, you know, multi-disc with art book kind of package. Um, I, I'm because, you know, I mean, the super fans are going to, they're going to spend money for something that has value. And it, it, like, there's not really a ceiling for that. If Mars Volta fans will pay 500 bucks, like, I'm kind of surprised. It's a pretty good precedent. I'm pretty. I'm kind of surprised almost that they didn't do like. So this record comes with D Laos, the first record, and it comes with B sides from the record and a whole record of demos that they did before they went in. Like it's like alternate versions of the songs and this book. I'm surprised they didn't just do. Here's the D Laos version. It's two hundred bucks. Here's the demos, the B sides, the book. They 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 apparently filmed the whole history of the band like. Scab dates is essentially like on the tour for D Laos. Like, why not just do like this mega D Laos box set, and then in a couple of years do the mega Francis the Mute box set? I don't know. Maybe they thought you do you do each of those at two hundred. Maybe someone buys one. Maybe they don't buy the other. You can't do that. Maybe for the later records because they don't have the the legendary factor. So maybe this was the best. I don't know. I was just doing all these models in my head of like, how many ways can you skin the cat and make money? Yeah. This is a thing that I've been thinking about a lot, actually, pretty recently, because, you know, I've mentioned the next Holophonics album is written and ready to be rehearsed and recorded as soon as we're all in the (laughs) same room. Uh, But I'm thinking about the album after that, which I've talked to you about a little bit. And I'm thinking, like, what is the ultimate version of, of that idea that I could make into a physical record? And... I don't want to talk too much about this right now, yeah, but not yet. Say like a four disc vinyl set with concept art and everything, like a full book with with you know all the behind the scenes stuff and everything, and like that could be like there could be like a deluxe version of that. That's like would have to be expensive. Like would people pay money for a four disc vinyl set with extra art and everything? I. I mean, I guess people do. I mean, we're se- we talking about we're selling a, a double record for the first time, and and it's been our our best selling yeah. vinyl release month. So well, I think that is where some of those like pledge campaigns are actually sort of tight because you can gauge interest, you know, and and make them for how many people want them. And even I think Bandcamp rolled out sort of a a pledge system. Yeah, like a uh, I forget the all the details uh how it worked but it seemed like it was a good deal um for you don't know how like the situation where you don't know how many you really need yeah um you have to, I you think have to like do a it. minimum yeah. order but if you get like 200 pre-orders they'll press 200 if you get 300 they'll press 300 that kind of thing yeah exactly so you could do a long campaign but you have to get at least 250 or something done that's kind of a cool cool idea I, I look forward to seeing what you do I'm kind of glad. I'm glad that I I got it at this point. I mean, it it did almost sort of scare me to really be like you're making really the most 
cliched early 30s bachelor purchase you could make where you're just <laughs> throwing your money at dumbass shit. But um, whatever. I'm at this point. I love this band. Take some of the money that I made selling records people threw in the trash. So um, Right. I, you keep buying records in Texas. I mean, what... Moving vinyl, I realized, is a huge pain in in the ass because they're so heavy. You get, and you know, you have to be careful with the boxes and everything. So I moved all of my vinyl from Texas to New York after moving it to Texas in the first place years ago. And I'm not even a vinyl person. I have like crates of of records. Yeah, uh, and and now you're just buying all these. (laughs) Oh, I know it's gonna (laughs) be all the shit that you're just gonna have to move back to New York. I moved down to (laughs) when I moved to Texas. I did it awesomely because I was able to throw out all my furniture. So all I brought with me were my like guitars, records, books, and and I was here. And I was able to rent a van and drive it down with Sean. It was like not expensive. When I move back, I'm just looking around. I'm going to have to like actually like, probably get a mover and I'm just I don't want to think about that, Eric. <laughs> um but I would love hey, if anybody out there has bought a wild box set reissue or even just like hunted down like an original pressing of their favorite record. I would love to hear that because I'm on board with you. Um, did you see the mail at gmail.com? Um, Call in now live. Five, five, five. Um, yeah. Nick's phone number is. Ah! <laughs> it's it. It's yeah, dude. I made, so I made, you said this is, <laughs> what did you say? You said, if you did this, if you bought that, people would be like, that's that makes sense for Nick Harvey to have done or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how I feel. But I feel I feel excited. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to him. I'm gonna enjoy him. I'm still gonna spend more money on buying a new microphone and maybe a guitar or something. But that's just the way the world goes. Yeah, I don't even really have a good turntable. Yeah, that's a whole lot of money too. I you know I guess if I had well no. <sighs> I don't think I'm the kind of person that wants that would ever really get into vinyl collecting. Yeah. Like I, I am currently buying vinyl from the, the bands that I, the independent bands that I like yeah. because it's really the only option now. It's like bands aren't even pressing CDs anymore. No. Um, I, I just, uh, Oh, it actually, I got my code for it today. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but flying raccoon suit from Mississippi uh, I ordered their new record, um, and that should be shipping soon. I think they their Kickstarter ended a few weeks ago, um, so I'm stoked to get that vinyl, but I am actually going to listen to the digital copy that I have uh, probably later tonight. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I buy vinyl from bands that I know and like, but I'm not a vinyl guy. Right. That makes sense. But, uh, I mean, I, I will say, too, this this has marked a I think buying this although while it would sound irresponsible like that's how I felt doing the purchase but I think I'm just gonna own it and say I'm I'm really excited to have done it but I will say I know some people have um, the experience where they don't value money at all and they just spend it all when they're young and then all of a sudden they're like thirty and they're like shit I need to save my money I had the very opposite relationship with money growing up where I like spending it gave me spending money gave me a lot of anxiety because I prescribed a lot of meaning to it. I, I, you know, and I worked a lot of minimum wage jobs and I had some working class friends and like, I don't know, my, like I had a real tangible, like 
$20 felt a certain emotion. $40 meant something. 60, like 80, 100, like I, I literally had value and value markers in my brain for what that meant. So if something like came in way above it, it was just so out of the question. And like, dude, like even into my like, I don't know, mid, late 20s, like spending over like a hundred, like, like I didn't spend money. So I think I've had to do some recalculation where I can spend some money a little more freely and not feel guilt about it. And this is like a real triumph in that. I think, I think this is the ultimate triumph. Congratulations there. I'm still waiting on stimmy check. Papa Joe's stimmy check. Yeah. I don't know if I should be, I, I mean, dude, I, I'm sitting here saying I, I'm frugal and don't spend money with you. Who's like, like next level King. Oh, I spend a ton of money. It's just money that I don't actually have. <laughs> okay, good. Oh man. Um, you know who must have spent <laughs> a lot of money is Jake, the dog throwing this crazy birthday party for his friend, Finn. Boo. That was a bad segue. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Want to just keep talking and then we can find a better one. Yeah. We don't, do we really have to talk about Adventure Time? We probably don't. We talked so much about Adventure Time last week. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, do you want to do a la- Last week was probably our worst episode ever. We did nothing but talk about Adventure Time for an hour and a half. Unadulterated, unabridged. Adventure Time? Should this be the first ever non-Adventure Time episode? Uh... Or should we just throw in? It'd be funny if it was. Uh, t- I I really want you to listen to Back to the Island, like the whole, the whole series, run. the whole podcast. Here's 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 a difference for you. Difference. <laughs> That's first episode with two differences so far. Okay. Uh, in Back to the Island, I am. A latecomer to Back to the Island, relatively speaking, because I did not listen when it started uh, because I had not watched Lost. Right. Uh, I they started that podcast in I think 2013. I watched yeah. Lost in 20. I'm going to say 2017, and then I forgot to go back and listen to Back to the Island until 2019, and since 2019. I've been working my way up to current. I've been current for the last few months. Um, they took a long break where I was able to catch up. So I basically binge watched uh, or binge listened to Back to the Island like you would a TV series. Sure. And when you do it like that, you begin to pick up on the like overarching narrative and the drama that unfolds in this podcast with Jeff and Chris Farron. And when they get to around episode 30, and this is our episode 30 right now, when they get to around episode 30, uh, there's, there's like a real arc. There's like a story that unfolds and you, (laughs) you really start to, uh, get the feel for like the direction that like their lives are going in and the narrative, and the story that they're telling. And uh, if you make it to episode 30 in Back to the Island, you'll you'll be on board for the next 100. Okay, I'm excited to listen. Is there any parallels to our episode 30 right now? Yeah, because episode 30 is when they stop uh, talking about 
lost. <laughs> like they like they stop talking about anything. They just totally go off the rails in format. They do a couple episodes where Chris hosts it solo. Jeff disappears. It's a uh, it's around like episode 28, 29, 30. They do like a like a multi-episode arc where it's just Chris being sad because Jeff won't return his calls and he's doing the podcast alone. <laughs> Oh my god! Okay, I'll listen to this. It's great. It's great drama. And so we've gotten to that point where we are eschewing format and structure. Yeah. Uh, I guess it it came after an abundance of structure and format from last week. I know. So well, it has burst. The thing I even just watching this episode though, I think last week, but even the week before when we did the stakes from the miniseries, it was still like. Watching this episode, at least, I was like, thank God, it's just like a no-stakes, dumb episode. Like, I really needed this. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't... Well, hey, okay, I have, here, let's, let's, let's talk about Adventure Time for five minutes. Okay. Episode discussion. We could, do, we could just not talk about it and then do a bonus lightning round episode where we talk about it <laughs> uh no we'll, we'll talk about it i don't want to watch this episode again no me neither okay just go an- <laughs> let's go uh so this was the birthday episode of adventure time yeah and it was just it was just your birthday it was my birthday this was your birthday episode it was wow i can't believe it really worked out that way thank you episode generator <laughs> um and i was so wait so we are the same age now yeah 32 and this is this is your uh, y- your first birthday of the pandemic. Yeah, I got the last one in literally just like a week or two under the wire. Yeah, so my birthday's at the end of the month, and I was part of this group of like late March and April birthday people that were like, "Oh man, this shit just fucked up my birthday." Like I was gonna go out and hang out with friends and go to the bar and everything, and I can't do that now. Oh, coronavirus sucks. Yeah, and then slowly like everyone's birthday was ruined. Yeah. I remember doing (laughs) like a zoom for a friend's birthday that was in like early April and everyone was like, guys, we really like, we got to do a zoom. We got to like send him something like he's missing his birthday and you know how much he loves it. And like, we took extra care (laughs) cut to like my friends who have a birthday in January and it's just like, you know, ah shit. I forgot to text him yesterday. Hey dude, happy birthday. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Nobody gets a birthday anymore. No. You at the very end of of the no birthday train. Oh, dude! I literally my that birthday too. I was turning thirty one. Like, was literally like an awesome party where I saw <laughs> everybody, like all my friends in New York, and like more people came than I thought. And I got like happy drunk, and it was just a complete fucking blast. And it was really like a nice send off into the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> um, not the rubbing. Has face. anyone ever set up a whodunit mystery for you? No for one's done that. Um, and I was thinking about because literally, right? This is this is the second Finn birthday episode, and this is the second whodunit mystery that Jake sets up for Finn. Right. We should uh, next year on the anniversary of your pandemic birthday, on the anniversary of our mystery train three eleven special episode. <laughs> Uh, we should we should do uh, one of those escape rooms that's like a, a murder mystery. Yes, and record it. For I've the never pod. done one, but and it's it seems like a really basic normie thing thing to do. But we should do Could it. Could you record <laughs> it for the podcast? 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would love to figure that out. That's our, that's our pledge to, to Adventure Guys fans. A year from now, you'll hear us live escaping from a murder mystery birthday surprise party. Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah, that'd be but, fun as hell. I'm excited. Um, but yeah, but so so he sets up this thing, but we but coming into the episode, obviously Finn doesn't know it. He's getting a surprise from Jake. They go onto the train. They go into this train because they're on their way to the surprise. And immediately they talk to a candy cane and a candy corn. There's a creepy conductor, and then they go through a tunnel, and the candy cane dies. Whoop! Murder! Who did it? And the best part is that it reveals an ongoing gag in this episode, which is as the candy dies. They have skeletons. Yeah. Which we watched that episode, yeah. The Creeps. Yeah. Which, yeah. like, it had we watched Mystery Train first, The Creeps would have been funnier. Oh, yeah. Way funnier. <laughs> I didn't realize it was, like, a, a thing. Yeah. and But the funny thing is that we said in The Creeps about, was it Starchy who died? And then we see Starchy's skeleton. Or Cinnamon, Cinnamon Bun. Cinnamon Bun. That's what it was. Because the, the, and they do it with the donut doctor in this for, like, when they die and Jake's fake skeletons come in, like they're the exact size of the person they're taking. So like, like cinnamon <laughs> bun, like his skeletons, like he literally is just all bone. It would appear by the yeah, look of his skeleton. Sugar coated bones. That's all. They yeah. Have. And the same thing for this candy cane. But whereas in the creeps, when people started turning into skeletons, everyone was freaking out. In Mystery Train, nobody seems to give that much of a shit. No, is it because uh, because they all are in on the joke, right? Now, but I was also wondering. Yeah, that would be. It. I was like, is it because they're all candy, and then this is just what happens to candy? But I guess <laughs> no. It's it's more about that they all actually know what's going on. Of course, I've seen this episode before, and I knew how it ends, but I, I can't rem- remember what I thought the first time I saw this episode. You know that there's something going on that's yeah. like, and then you, yeah. like, did you recognize that John DiMaggio is also doing the voice of the conductor? I thought the conductor was voiced by Nick Kroll, who does, um, oh. like, if you watch Big Mouth and he does, like, Maurice, the, like, the yeah. really low gravelly voice, like, I thought that was I, I gotta him. say, for John DiMaggio, it was a very low version of his voice. It's not something that I've ever heard John DiMaggio do in any of his other roles. Yeah. So... So, you know, it, I guess, accomplished what it was trying to accomplish. But uh, since I was really thinking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's an interesting Jean DiMaggio voice. Obviously, it's Jake. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I did not pick up on that. Or or even when I did, I looked to see if it was Nick Kroll, it wasn't. It was John DiMaggio. I was like, no, oh, whatever. He probably just voices other people. I, I love. I like. Right. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing that you can get from from this is that, like, the voice actors do a lot of roles. And uh, but, you know, I will recommend once more watching OKKO. OK yeah. It's a, a very charming show. It's somewhat lower stakes, but still very funny. Um, there is a sort of uh, this character is also this character type of thing in that show. And I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, I didn't pick up on it the first time I watched it. And then the second time I watched it, paying attention to the end credits and you see all the voice actors listed, like the entire time, you get the same voice actor listed for these multiple characters. Uh. And like, isn't that a spoiler? It, like to properly credit the actor? <laughs> yeah. I think so. I mean, I guess you have to, yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. That's funny. Okay, I'm going to watch that show. Um, but anyway, 
all these people start dying. Finn's looking into it real hard, coming up with crazy like theories as to what's happening. Um, until he gets into this like huge fight with the conductor, who's pretty rad in skateboards. He can do a nollie, we find yeah, out. Yeah, he can do a nollie. <laughs> He's cool and awesome. Yeah. Um, that's what Jake says about yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, <laughs> Dude, he's shredding that train. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know Jake could skate like that. Yeah, right? I, I always thought Bumo was the pro boarder. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Kicking kickflip. I guess they all skate, maybe. Then they... um. He basically gets the conductor. He's going to stab him with his sword, and then it reveals to be Jake. And he explains how he did it. Doesn't really make too much sense. Um, but what's interesting um, about... So I guess I, this is what I took from it, but it seems that Jake, Jake's birthday present to Finn was setting up this mystery so he could solve it, right? Yeah, I guess it's like the equivalent of a dungeon, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Finn just likes doing those kinds of activities because, of course, he does. He's the 13-year-old kid. <laughs> yeah, they don't exactly say it, but that's what it was. And then they land. The train uh, crashes into a big mold of jello, and they eat cake. The, the twist is that we do not – that falling off the cliff into the jello was not planned. So they were <laughs> very moments away from, like, true death. Yeah. That's, that's one of the very Adventure Time kind of – Oh, I guess it just kind of worked out. Yeah. Moments. Yeah, they they just they <laughs> twisted that sort of ending and yeah. All right, well that was good right. adventure uh, time talk. Want to play Did you see the snail? Yeah, yeah. All right, Nick, did you see the snail? No. Did you see the snail, Eric? Nope. Ah. Oh. Uh, miscellaneous mania. I sure. <laughs> There's things you may not know. Zarek and Nick will show you all the trivia in miscellaneous. All right. Uh, this episode is definitely packed with content. Um, there's plenty of clues that, you know, foreshadow that Jake is the actual conductor and orchestrator of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, some of them are easier to pick up on than others. Uh, there's a lot of little Easter eggs in there. Uh, when Finn is thumbing through the dictionary, pretty much all the text on the dictionary is just like fun little Easter eggs. Oh, um, really? About like what? About, about like, like what he's doing? The, about the crew, just like little tidbits. Oh uh, yeah, I'm looking something at about that. pancakes being the cat of Natasha Allegri. No, I guess the whole episode's a reference to David Fincher's The Game. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it either. I should probably watch it. I like David Fincher a lot. Yeah, I would watch it. Yeah, I just watched uh, Seven. Recently? Oh, I would like to see. I, see now that the ending of Seven was ruined for me by like it being sort of memeable and referenceable. So yeah. I never actually saw it. I was like, oh, it got ruined for me. Same thing with like Usual Suspects. But maybe. I, uh, yeah, I saw Seven before the age of memes, thankfully. But I, I rewatched it recently because um, 
you see that new movie on HBO Max that was on in uh, last month with, uh, what was it called? The Little Things with Rami Malek and Jared Leto and Denzel Washington. Oh, no, I missed it. It's basically seven, but without being in the 90s. Mm. So I, wa- I watched seven the next night just to compare it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But I like David Fincher. There you, you said it. Yeah. He said he went out on a limb, Eric, and said that he liked David Fincher. I love it. I, you got right? controversial. You got balls, viewpoint. son. Um, you know what other movie I just watched? What? Uh, because someone said it reminded them of David Fincher, and I trust this person's uh, opinions on film. Um, I care a lot on Netflix. <sighs> I don't know that movie. With uh, with it's it new just just came out like a couple weeks ago with uh, Rosamund Pike and. Peter Dinklage. Mm. Great. Highly recommended. Cool. I'll put it on the list. It's like a, a like a crime thriller. They they advertise it as a dark comedy, but it's like it's not really. It's just like a funny concept that they turn into like a like a crime thriller. Yeah. But it's very fast paced and intellectual. There's a lot of like scheming and machinations. Dude, that's cool. All right, I'll see that. Um I saw a movie recently which was crazy and sloppy and big and ambitious but was kind of fun. It was called Under the Silver Lake. I haven't heard of it. So the movie came out in like 2019. Um, It stars Andrew Garfield and... Spider-Man. Spider-Man. And this is like right after Spider-Man. I guess he wanted to do like... I, I literally don't know anything else that he's done besides Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, I think this was his kind of like big like um, art movie kind of foray that he was going to... Tr- his, his big not Spider-Man movie. <laughs> he was going to try to do. It wasn't a big movie, but like, you know, like Robert Pattinson's just been doing art movies uh, now. Yeah. And he's like... <laughs> and now he's Batman. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's pretty good. If you saw The Lighthouse was awesome. Um, but Andrew Garfield's in this movie and the movie, he's like a... You know, like a early 30s, 33-year-old, like Los Angeles guy lives in Silver Lake. Um, I guess used to be an actor, but is pretty washed up, going to get kicked out of his apartment. And he kind of falls in love with his downstairs neighbor girl. He like hangs out with her once for like 30 minutes, almost makes out with her. And then the next day, her apartment is just cleared out and got like, like no one lived there. Like all the everything's gone and he's like wait what so he sets up the finder and it starts into this mystery and we starts to uncover is like is there an underlying conspiracy underneath los angeles that has consumed this girl or is he sort of just going crazy or is he narcissistic or is this a fantasy a dream sequence and you can't tell like what's what and there's like all sorts of interconnecting things and like it has an active you know that that kind of thing actually like kind of annoys me sometimes yeah like when 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 you when you're watching something and you're like what are they trying to do is like they're making you unsure whether this is reality or like the character is just like hallucinating you know some big yeah like i think it's overdone but did they do it well in this movie because it can be done i i enjoyed it but I don't think you're alone in being a little skeptical of it. So it was put out by A24, who puts out a lot of these like new sort of like indie movies. And then they, it was supposed to come out. They, I think it went to Cannes and Cannes people were like, some people were like, this is awesome. And some people were like, this sucks. 
I think more people were like not into it. So they were like, okay, let's not put out this movie for a year. And then they were trying to get the guy to re-edit it. And the director was like, I will not re-edit my movie. And then it put it out, but like into like, you know, like 10 theaters or something. So it's kind of a niche movie, but if you're into that sort of a thing, um, it's sort of like, you know, Mulholland drive or something, but not as good. But interesting, but interesting. Um, it's an interesting movie. It was the kind of movie where I finished it and I was like, huh, did I like that? I don't know. And I thought about the next day and I was like, I watched some like YouTube videos about like theories behind the movie. And later in the day, I was like, you know what? I think I like that movie. But if you don't want to have that experience where you don't know if you liked or didn't like something... <laughs> you know, it was also the kind of movie that I didn't have Sean watch with me or... Because I was like, this is a gamble. This might suck. So I'm just going to like solo this. Really? I I always want to watch gamble movies with someone else. Yeah. Well, that would have been. if you don't like it, then you can at least commiserate with someone. Yeah. Well, that would be fun too. I, you know, this this, princi- this principle is like somewhat of a, a new realization in my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, as, as I've pretty much only watched uh movies and shows and stuff alone over the last year um i think the number one reason that i can come up with right now for eventually like getting married yeah is to have someone to gamble watching bad (laughs) movies with (laughs) love that what a great right yeah (laughs) You, you know when you're when you're like scrolling through a streaming service and you're like I would watch that but eh, you know it's, it's probably more something I would have to watch with someone else yeah no that is fun it's, like- <laughs> it's so funny that that's just like I think I don't think you're alone in that I think it's like a totally uh, modern element of relationships <laughs> you spend more time doing that than anything else probably as a couple in 2021 yeah that yeah number one reason to get married as as far as where thirty two year old Eric stands, yeah, I guess number two reason would still be for money. Very open to marrying a rich doctor. <laughs> yeah, the financial freedoms that come with marrying a rich person are pretty choice, right? Especially like you know, like I'm not 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 like too into the whole like you know, like needy smothering like being around each other all the time kind of relationship. So you you know marrying a doctor or a lawyer like they're busy. They got shit to do. So you have plenty of independent time. Yeah. Nice. My rationale. That's funny. <laughs> uh, getting a call now. Do you want to go for three for three technical difficulties? Um, why, don't you, why don't you put them on? Who is it? <laughs> that's my roommate, Corey. He was involved in the other te- first technical yep. difficulty. Episode generator. Hey. What are we gonna watch next week? What are we gonna watch? It's the episode generator. Right, we're not doing it randomly. We have this curated. We're gonna do episode uh, eight. 
season one, episode eight, business time. Yes. We're going to have, we're going to have a special guest special, and yeah. they requested this episode. Yep. And you'll meet them next time. I think it's time to get some new blood in. And I, I think we found a, a really great guest, uh, who will be a great podcast guest, very knowledgeable about adventure time, the canon, and everything around it. So hell yeah. And it'll be our very first episode review from a season one episode. Hell yeah. Never done it before. Never before. Cool. Well, thank you for listening. Um, if you made it this far, you're a true fan. I want to high five you when the <laughs> pandemic's over. Send us an email at did you see the mail at gmail.com. Uh, so we can talk about it or on Twitter too. I love talking to people on Twitter. It's been fun. Um, subscribe, rate us, tell a friend. Cool. Peace out y'all. Bye.